0: Hello, Hoopaholics! It's Coach Spins here from the Box and One. We got a new video intro. We got a new season here of the Box and One podcast. Our third year of doing this, and I am thrilled to kick this off with my man. You know him as Mavs Draft, but I know him as not the Go Man, but the Stay Man, Rich Stayman. How we doing, my friend? It's really good to have you back here. Let the people know how you're doing, man.
1: Hey, I'm I'm good. It's nice to be back.
0: It's awesome to have you here. What have you been doing to fill your time since Summer League and with uh, with basketball being a little bit uh, less frequent nowadays?
1: Yeah, it's funny. I'm actually wearing my Summer League shirt, um, which, by the way, if you're ever going to Summer League and want gear, I, they do not put price tags on that. Um, I found out the hard way, and there's like 20 people behind you. Uh, not, a fun, not a fun experience, but I've been uh, watching a ton of high school film, an, an absolute ton. What about you?
0: Well, I am doing a little bit of the same. I'm doing a little bit of home renovation stuff right now, just trying to stay busy, like outside of the basketball world, uh, but really preparing for the 2024 upcoming class. And that's really what we're going to be doing. Diving in here today is preparing for 2024. So what I have learned through the last couple of months in trying to do the podcast or, you know, find ways to always give you guys, the the viewers and listeners, the content that you like is these video podcasts and breakdowns of film were really well received smashing success so i have a feeling that's going to be what we end up doing most of the podcast here if you're listening online and you're not actually watching this on youtube i would strongly encourage you to head on over to the youtube channel and check a lot of this out because there are going to be a lot of film clips that rich and i referenced today i got about 12 minutes of film to be able to dive through and we're going to stop and slow down and rewind and talk through whatever we want to about three prospects. And the way that I envision the podcast kind of moving and growing from here is doing one team or a set of intriguing prospects at a time to either compare them, to see the guys who are going to interact with each other. And a lot of times when we do these breakdowns, we look at guys at similar position types or who have very similar traits and we want to compare and contrast them as prospects. Today, Rich and I are actually going to dive into how certain players really mesh well together on the same team and really how they might need each other in different ways to become the best version of a prospect they can be to unleash their their best potential for the class of 2024. And we're going to start with the defending champion Connecticut Huskies, Rich, just looking at last year and moving forward to, to what they have coming back, what's your thought process right now on where the Huskies are at?
1: Well, they rebuilt their roster very well. Uh, they brought back Donovan Klingon, who I think overall is going to be a better big man than uh, than I just drew a blank on uh, Sinogo, Adama Sonogo. I think he's going to be a little bit more impactful, more free in that way, where he's not, you know, he doesn't have to split those minutes up top with, uh, with Sonogo, who needs a lot of touches. They also brought in uh, – actually, even before that, they brought back Tristan Newton. They brought back several guys that were important to that run while also adding a top 10 guy, Stefan Castle, who we'll talk about. They brought in Solomon Ball, who's ranked nationally around 50, a little bit after on average. Um, Jalen Stewart, another guy who flirts in that same zone, and then also Jaden Ross, who I, I find myself to be a big fan of. And then they added Cam Spencer. I think they added just a ton of talent – And a lot of those names you'll hear throughout this whole podcast and video, but I think they just did a really good job of retooling the roster and making it so that they're not losing a step at any point.
0: They've done a great job of staying ahead of the transfer portal of bringing in the right guys for the fit of the roster. I mean, there's no doubt that replacing Jordan Hawkins, Andre Jackson, and Adama Sinogo is a difficult task. Three guys who were great teammates and leaders and all bought into their roles really effectively – had that upperclassman experience on this team, they're going to be younger. Yes, they've hit the transfer portal pretty well with Cam Spencer, who we're actually going to talk about a little bit and watch some clips on for how he might fill into that Jordan Hawkins role. But by and large, there's still a lot of talent here for Connecticut. And I know, Rich, before we dive into some of the film, there were a couple of guys that you wanted to mention as sneaky prospects who maybe we're not going to cover in full length here today.
1: Yeah, I I really like Jaden Ross. It's mostly him. Um I I mean six seven wing, really athletic, good shot. Just that combination. He looks smooth in everything he does. He crashes the boards, as a high motor. I think that just combination with that size, the skill set size athleticism combo checks every box for a sleeper. So I really like his game. It's mainly him. I'm not I think Jalen Stewart's a nice guy for 2025 and down the road. Uh, Solomon Ball I don't know a ton about uh, but I mean I really just like the whole UConn roster I mean even Tristan Newton's five, had lit it up uh, I want to say East Carolina before yep. and I mean he can shoot the lights out like I think he's another guy he's not gonna be Jordan Hawkins because Jordan Hawkins is a sophomore but I really do think there's an NBA level shooting ability there.
0: Yeah. Newton's an interesting prospect. Like Alex Caravan, who I got to watch a ton when he was in high school started as a freshman for them. Like he's, he's a unique shooter kind of on the wing or playing the stretch four for the Huskies in some regard, they've done really well in recruiting down in the area where I live right now. And where I coach in the DMV, a lot of talent down here, two team mellow guys going up to them next season. Like they're going to be really young, but super, super talented in a lot of different ways. But I think this past March as much as we enjoyed watching them dominate the rest of the country on their NCAA tournament run there was one player in general who I found myself really endeared to and that was Donovan Klingin played as a freshman this past year at Connecticut he's got to be what 7-4 like he is absolutely massive out there and as we'll watch some clips on Klingin I'm really intrigued by his defensive ability, by his ability to, to just be a two-way big at that size, which you don't see very often. What was your first impression watching Klingon throughout the NCAA tournament run or throughout his freshman year?
1: Yeah, it's funny. My guy uh, Rafael Barlow had asked me, you know, what makes <laughs> what makes Donovan Clingan any less of a prospect than than this player, this player? And I was always like, man, is Clingan really that good? And now I'm, I'm looking at it, and I'm like, eh, eh, he had a point. <laughs> like, it's just that mobility and his size. I think he's probably really seven two. I don't think he's seven four, um, but I do think that size, just being a seven plus footer with that mobility, I think the jump shot is something that could really develop and if you just ignore everything else and go he's a mobile defender who can protect the rim well and can shoot the ball that like has shooting upside that is a very very valuable role especially if he does all three of those things at a high level defending the perimeter defending the rim and shooting and then on top of that though there is a lot to his game beyond just that surface level those three skills too
0: there's a lot to his game. So let's let's dive in a little bit here and show some of the clips. So I want to start with rim protection and the defensive end of the floor because this is what's always caught my eye with a guy like Donovan Klingin. And in this clip right here, what we end up seeing is this drive here. The way that he plays too, and he's able to position himself in a way where he's never out of position, he's great with angles, He knows how to simultaneously stop the ball and prevent that from getting a shot off while also recovering to his man and making sure that it's it's not going to be an open dunk for the man that he's leaving. He's just really good with his angles. When he's straight up and vertical, he is going to alter a ton of shots. And Rich, as we're seeing things here, please stop me if there's any clip that you want me to rewind and go through for something that you're noticing here. But what I've always loved is he sees the back of a driver's head. As soon as he notices that this defender or this, excuse me, this offensive player kind of has tunnel vision, picks up his dribble, is trying to score it, that's when he tends to come over. He sees, recognizes, and protects the basket.
1: I think that's a great point. The one thing I will say in all, a lot of these videos, like right now, even, is he does camp out in the paint, which is something every college big does. But, but it's not, I, I do think with a lot of it, it is stuff where it's actually within three seconds. But mm-hmm. we do find him just sitting there that always is something to keep in mind on some of these but the big thing like you said the recognition of what's coming the way he doesn't take himself out of a two-on-one right like he is mm-hmm. he's one of the hardest bigs to take out of a two-on-one because he simultaneously doesn't commit while not like you said he's not out of position or anything it's a very tough balance to act and he does that very well he keeps his body both in check to where he can turn towards and also that reach right there i know i know that's why you paused it yeah that reach is crazy because he doesn't need to get off the ground a ton to impact anything. I mean, he's very good at timing when to jump, when to stay on the ground. That those are instincts that I think are just very translatable.
0: Yeah. Being able to keep him closer to the basket is always going to be beneficial for the Huskies or whichever team has Donovan Kling. And because of this right here, like please go on YouTube and look at this. His hand is above the square where he's meeting this ball right now. It's absolutely absurd what his size, standing reach, and just timing is going to allow him to be able to do. So a special type of rim protector and shot blocker as he continues to get to really the the best version of himself. But I, I love his instincts, right? It's awareness as well as the ability to cover ground. Here's a play against Iona in the first round. Backdoor set, he recovers from the elbow to notice it and help out a teammate. It's not just the the ability to protect the rim. I, I think a lot of times when we talk about ball screen coverage, it's really important in the NBA. Just watch a lot of these possessions. And the reason I put them in here is you'll notice that in these these two that we're showing in a row here, ball screen coverages that don't result in a shot. It's shot deterrence in pick-and-roll coverage that's really important for a guy like Klingon. Forces a pass out, and then they run the same thing again, can't get another
1: action out of a ball screen. Can we two things? Can we yeah. rewind to the beginning of this possession, and then before even, and then pause real fast. The quickness to to get over to like even in the last clip, when he is at almost the free throw line, when the ball is being delivered to the cutter, go, like pretty much at the rim, and he still blocks it. So, like the quickness to get there, to yeah. use the instincts. Plus, like, let's see. Maybe maybe my memory is wrong, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he was at the free throw line the entire time. He takes let's see one stride that too too. And, and they're, you know, they're kind of small, big, whatever their steps. But so with this right there was perfect. Yep. He, he takes away also with his size, I think in a way. Yeah. It makes it where you have to wait to get that angle too. I, I love that. And then if you keep going, there was one other thing and I will come back to me, the reject of the post right there while also being able right there, adjusting into all right. I have to make sure now that just cause my guy stopped, I don't have to let, I have to make sure he can't get in. Like that was a completely yep. dominant possession. Obviously perfect instincts on the jump shot too to block it.
0: Yep. And here's another one. Guards the first pick and roll pretty well. Gonzaga stalls out. Here comes a second one. Does a good job of decouraging, showing and recovering. So his man can get back. And then this is where he ended up with that SWAT that we showed earlier, but it's not just drop coverage, right? We talk a lot about how a big guy like Klingen is going to have an impact closer to the basket. He's pretty mobile. He's really light and quick on his feet. So he can show on ball screens and slide his feet if a guard is able to force a switch or comes at him rather aggressively. We see that in a couple different possessions here. Here is the you see Andre Jackson kind of gets clipped on this handoff. And as he ends up coming up, Klingin recognizes, takes one or two slides with the ball handler and is able to just. Wall up, and the guy shoots it into his damn hands. Like it's just—it's impossible to try to score over the top of a guy like him. But this is one clip that I'm going to show again, and I was really impressed by the first time I watched this. Seton Hall goes five out, a little bit smaller, and we know that NBA teams try to go small in late game situations, and they will attack a big man on the floor from the perimeter. They'll try to go at him from a face-up situation, drive at him downhill, particularly try to get his man moving pre-catch so that Klingon doesn't have a chance to get set. Watch his reactivity here. They run a dribble handoff play. He almost gets brushed off by his own teammate, keeps sliding his feet walls up. That is a pristine possession from a big man in terms of his mobility.
1: And I mean, in all of these plays too, all these possessions, the rotations defensively have been incredible too, yep. right? It's just, it's so valuable. Like it's why they won the title, right? Where it's, nobody missed a rotation on that team it feels like and he anchored the team defense that didn't miss a rotation it's it's just an unbelievable uh just combination and I think at the NBA when you look at like you look at some of these young rebuilding teams that don't have that rim protector right like but you put him in Houston he changes that entire identity of the defense so much just by being there and I'd, I'd love it And another one that I'd like. I know that we're not trying to, you know, super project a year out from the draft, eleven months from the draft. But if he's there at like say ten or eleven, because I think that'll probably be their range, it might be a little bit below. But I mean, just putting him next to Wembenyama, for example. Jeez. I hey, you're I mean, I'm Mavs draft. I'm not I'm not (laughs) (laughs) I'm the one who has a team who who has to face that combination, that theoretical combination four times a year. So it's it actually would be crazy, though, to think you have the the all time, you know, just he's never out of a play guy. And then you have the most stable rim protector defender that you could ask for that combination. I'd I'd hate to love to see it at the same time.
0: Yeah, I I think Klingon was fantastic on the defensive end. I should have pulled up all of the advanced stats. I didn't have them for, for pulled up for this. That's a mistake on my end just to show like the on off stuff and how dominant he was. But I love his, his ability to react to, to shots from pull-up shooters. We'll watch a couple clips here where he's in drop coverage. This is just kind of pristine tracking of the ball and baiting a guard to go at him, Tyler Kolek, and just swatting that away. But what I love about big men who play in drop coverage is the ability to step up and challenge pull-up shooters because a lot of times when you play in drop or in a really deep drop, you are daring people to take that shot and at the NBA level, really good guards are going to torque you if, if that's what you do time and time again. So you have to be able to react to that. Here's a couple of clips that I want to show, and I put them here back to back for a reason. Connecticut and Marquette were the two top teams in the Big East. And I love Ozo Iguodaro, the big man for Marquette. I think he's going to be an NBA player someday. Much more of an undersized, like very athletic but relies on his skill. Awesome passer, can handle the ball a little bit, likes to take bigs off the bounce from the perimeter, and has real floater in that mid-range area. So if Klingon read his scouting report, he knows that he can't just drop back if a pocket pass is thrown right here to Igadaro, He can't just drop to the top of the charge circle. He has to be ready to step up on Oso and challenge a shot closer to that Big East logo. Well, that's exactly what he does here. The ability to recover and understand that on the scout and cover ground is insane. Here we are, earlier in that same game, weaving out of the pick and roll. This is what Ozo Iguodaro is worried about the entire time. There is no way, as far as I know, to statistically quantify guys being scared of trying to attempt shots near you, particularly a big man who is athletic and has great touch in the way of Iguodaro. But he is hesitant to try to score over the top of Klingon the results of stalled out possession, and then guess what? Another one of those swats on the mid range.
1: And watch how few of the times, like even on this possession, they're hesitant to even look at the rim. I mean, he only did right there. He did right. Then he looks away immediately. He already has his body angled towards. Um, I'm blanking on the point guard. Yeah, Tyler Cole. Yep. And he uh, he's already looking there. And then when you watch the when you watch Cole go again. I don't even know if the shot clock or wasn't the shot clock. I I think he tried faking him out. That was the only way he could do it. But I mean, he doesn't let people even look at the rim. Like he is that much of a deterrence where it's like they see him and they go, okay, where's the corners? Where's the wings? Like where's the elbows? Everything. They, they're trying to find everybody else, but themselves at that point. And that's huge.
0: Yep. It's, he is a shot deterrent in so many different ways that that's something that I value a lot out of a defensive anchor in a big man. So I think general takeaways here from Klingon on the defensive end of the floor. Like really, really big, covers a ton of ground, much more mobile than he gets credit for. Will be best served playing in drop coverage or any type of defensive scheme where he can stay in the paint as long as possible, but don't underrate his ability to slide his feet or at least play at the level in ball screens. Anything else that you'd want to add defensively.
1: Yeah, I mean just the the same rotations and things like that, and the quickness to recover, and because of his size, he has so much more room for error than your average big.
0: Yeah, it's uh it's a great canvas to be working with if you're an MBA team. So. Let's transition to the offensive end. Look, anytime you're 7'2 to 7'4, however the hell tall he is, like you're going to be a post-up threat. And in college basketball, that's an easy way to manufacture points. But what I always noted from this is UConn didn't use him by sitting him on the blocks and trying to throw the ball into him. They did something I believe is really smart. They had him set a ball screen or some sort of a, a perimeter screen around the elbows first. And then they roll him into the post. Where his man has to be concerned with the ball screen first, which allows Klingon to establish deeper post position, get his man on his back, and then be able to score one-on-one. So his post-up arsenal isn't this traditional, like, I'm just going to stand here all possession, camp on the left block, and hope for the ball to be thrown into me. He'll always come up, set a screen, roll down to the blocks, and then be able to operate down here really strong body takes contact pretty well stays on balance and I love the way that he shows his hand for a target and it's just very common poise this is his go-to move he likes to catch the ball on the left offensive block and then drop step towards the baseline side but he's just absolutely massive like one-on-one there's going to be very few guys even at the NBA level (laughs) that can guard him and To go hand-in-hand with that, you've got to be able to finish as a roll man. and His size just makes it super easy for guards to be able to throw the ball up to him out of the pick-and-roll where he can catch and finish. But this is an unbelievable one-two combination where when you can finish easily off the roll because you've got great touch, it's easy for you to get up off the ground. You can be a real lob target, as we see in this clip here. There's a lot that NBA guards can do with him. Uh, I'd love to see him in a spread pick and roll type of action with a really cerebral guard where after he rolls, his job's not done and just standing out of the way in the short corner reading penetration. Find a team in a system that's going to throw the ball back to the the strong side raise or the shake action and then throw the ball into him in the post.
1: Yeah, I, I was going to say, I, I, just, I feel like a lot of bigs, they just screen to screen and they're like, Oh, you didn't get anywhere. Let me try again. And then they just kind of halfway roll. Not only are his rolls hard every single time, but he screens with such a purpose and it's such a minor thing, but he really does. Like you said, I mean, he has an agenda every time he screens and it works and it's not a selfish agenda. It's very much a, this is going to open up the entire defense because we all know a pick and roll. The actual rolling is what collapses the defense. And that is where he just wins because he's always going to make the right decision and he doesn't need the ball to make him make him or his teammates better.
0: Yep. And I want to shout out Brian Kervik in the YouTube comments mentioning he's got great hands. Uh, It's, it's really important for a Klingon. He, he, he's got soft touch when you throw lobs up to him. He's really good at, at, and we'll see some offensive rebounds later, tipping things out to himself and, and having the ability to do that. But what I want to highlight here is comfort away from the basket. Uh, you know, Rich had mentioned a little bit of shooting projection for him that you you think that's something he could get to long term. You know, I, I'm not sure where I'm at, at on that. um What is it that has you feeling really positive about his shooting long term?
1: Well, now I'm double checking all the stats I had seen, but um for me, I think I'd seen him take just practice mid range jumpers, and honestly, the form it doesn't look bad. It's something where I'd like to before I make like a long term assessment on that. I do think he has to get that free throw percentage at least 10 to 15 points higher. It was 51%. I didn't realize it was that low when I had said that. Um, but I think he has enough to work with where it's, there's something there where it's not just in the paint, right? It could be just 15 feet. It could be at the free throw line jumpers. Like there's something there.
0: Yeah, he's got some touch. I've seen him make or take a couple threes in AAU settings before. I remember watching him. I was at uh, Spooky Nook Courts in Pennsylvania for an AAU tournament he was playing. And he was playing on court one, the big showcase there. He was the big name on that circuit. And he just dominated a team that I don't think had a guy over six foot five. And it was, it was laughable, but it's really hard to take away anything from a scouting standpoint from a game like that. He's getting double and triple team. And he made willing passes, but he always stood out to me right away from that game as a guy who's much more skilled, has great touch, and is a willing passer who understands the type of attention that he's going to command in the low post. But that feel has translated earlier and better to the college level than I really anticipated. So we talked about Connecticut having him play away from the basket. They also ran a lot of this kind of five-out type of offense where they'd throw the ball to a guy like Klingen at the top of the key. He carved up some teams on some slips that they would run from guard-to-guard guard screening actions, like Georgetown, who was a horrific defensive team, got caught on this slip twice. But Klingen's accuracy with his passes found the right man. Here, Rich, is what really intrigues me most. On ball screens, if you put him with a really, really, really good ball handler and a guy who's going to command traps and you throw the ball to Klingon in the short roll, he's actually a pretty good decision maker. He scans the defense pretty quickly to be able to see and feel cutters around him is really important. This was an awesome pass as far as I was concerned because he almost makes his read after he's airborne in some regard. And I don't love jump passes. I'm not Caitlin Cooper. Like, that's not my my avenue to really fall in love with. But if you watch his eyes here, he takes one bounce. He is looking to try to throw this to the opposite corner, to number three there, I believe, Joey Calcaterra. And he reads 23 in Iona, starting to cheat in that direction. So Klingen adjusts and throws it back across his body for the assist. Unbelievable read and decision-making that he has on the fly there. Like There is a lot of skill for Klingon to tap into. We'll see it more now that he gets a little bit more opportunity to play because Adama Sunogo has moved on, and I think Klingon's probably going to be somewhere in the 25 to 30 minutes a night range. But, man, am I intrigued by this playmaking feel in a way that hasn't been highlighted enough early in his
1: career. Yeah, I agree, and it's not – It's not just like, here, sit at the top and wait for something to happen. Like, one example I've seen of that in the NBA is DeAndre Jordan when he was with the Mavs. They would let him run offense, but it would just be everybody's moving, and he would just sit there, and he's like, all right, and eventually he'd throw it, but it was like eight seconds of him just sitting there at the free throw line, and then he gets rid of it. Like, that's not – to me, that's not – no. that valuable but with him it, it's like you said it's quick decision making in the short role it's what you're also seeing where he's catching it he's spinning out of that that role he sometimes does like a 180 and you see him immediately go all right i have two he tags his teammates and he goes all right like that iona play i have the guy yep. in the corner i have the guy in the on the elbow and i can make it work right like i can get him wherever i want it dep- all you have to do at that point is react to the defense which is i think the easiest part of, of passing is it's just you don't have to make any advance read it and you just have to go all right where are they and then just go to whichever one he's not by
0: no doubt about it and you know that's the benefit of UConn playing in such a well-spaced offense is I think he had consistency and he had space to operate but when you catch the ball in a short roll situation the rule is you got 0.5 seconds to make your decision and get rid of the basketball if you're not going to keep dribbling it or taking it to the basket for yourself you have 0.5 seconds to get rid of that thing so we've talked about perimeter skill, talked about obviously his impact in the post, down low, scoring one-on-one, how he can be a reliable finisher out of the pick and roll because he's got real soft hands and good touch. But there's this one hilarious aspect of his game that you mentioned Wem Minyama a little bit earlier. Like I always laugh watching Wem Yama get offensive rebounds because I keep thinking to myself, what the hell is anyone else supposed to do? And that is kind of what I feel watching Donovan Klingon on the offensive glass a lot of the time. Like, what are these guys at Seton Hall supposed to do about that? Or even on this play here, put him with a pick-and-roll guard who's going to shoot a lot of those pill-ups and screens. (laughs) He, he like, straight-hand swats this thing back into
1: the basket. It's remarkable. That's literally, like, what Bobon does. Yeah. I. he goes, no, thanks. And then he puts (laughs) it up. Like, that is straight-up, like, what Bobon does.
0: It's it's absurd and uh, and like I think this is the one that made me laugh the hardest during the final four. Like his standing reach and his ability to get a hand on this basketball here is ridiculous. Shot comes from the printer. I'm going to try to freeze it. Yeah.
1: Like it also helps. Miami didn't play anybody above six 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 seven. Right. But still,
0: <laughs> it, again, two Miami guy going up for the ball with two hands. Klingon goes for it with one outside of his zone with his weak hand across his body. And he ends up coming down with this thing. NBA teams want to play smaller in late game situations or in times when it's advantageous. I'm telling you, Klingon is the one guy that I actually think is going to be able to hold his ground pretty well if teams go slow or, excuse me, go small against him because he's decently mobile defensively. He's a decent enough passer if you're going to double team him in the post. And then you can always have him do this. Stay near the basket and make an incredible opportunity for himself and for his teammates on the offensive glass. He's mobile. He runs the floor. Again, those are really soft hands and soft touch on the putback. I'm a huge fan of Donovan Klingon right now. So, Rich, preseason coming into this whole draft cycle, I know we've got a lot of film to watch on other guys, but – gut feeling on a guy like Klingon, like let's just throw around a little bit of floor and ceiling for draft stuff and and kind of predictable ranges for a guy like him.
1: Yeah. I, I think in terms of range, I think he's lottery. I I think it's going to take a lot to really go less than that. Even with the way teams view bigs, he's got to be lottery. You, you have a defensive anchor and really I think he should be top 10. Like I'm not, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. He should be top 10. Top eight for me. I think you look at your team that if you're around six through 10, your team that probably just overachieved a little bit or not overachieved, but made a jump from where you were the year before. You think the Orlando Magic, right? They had the six pick. They had 10 plus wins the year before. They need one more step to kind of get to the playoffs. You add Donovan Klingon, you got it. Like every team, for the most part, there's going to be exceptions in that range, probably needs an anchor on the defensive end because defense ultimately, if you this is a it's like a Rudy Gobert stat right where the top defensive rim protection teams they're the top teams in the league right like Rudy Gobert that's why the Jazz were always so good in the regular season because they had Rudy Gobert to stop everything and when you get clinging on that team you're going to see a huge difference in wins it's also a big part of like why Utah did not bottom out like they thought everybody thought they would and that stuff just matters I really do think you're looking at a rookie year similar to Walker Kessler potentially better so I think he's a better prospect honestly I, I say that as somebody who didn't like Walker Kessler so maybe there's some bias there but yeah, I really that, do yeah. think there's less maybe he's not a better prospect there's less alarming elements to his game I would say
0: sure yeah I think for me like I, I'm with you I have Klingen as a lottery-ish type of guy but what I keep looking at is this is going to be a class where there are a few bigs that I'm pretty high on you know Ethan Almansa is number one on my preseason board right now. I'm a huge fan of his, who's going to be playing with the G League Ignite next year. Alex Saar playing over with the Perth Wildcats, spent last team, last year with the OTE as well as Almansa. Adaymara, who's been playing in Spain, All, another huge big man who's got some real passing feel. I don't know how I want to sort through these guys yet. And what worries me is that I don't know if there are going to be four teams drafting in that lottery range in that top 14 who desperately need that type of big man over a more versatile type of position. So as much as I want to buy into Klingen in that hype of top 10 or lottery preseason, I'm tempering it a little bit more just because I don't know how I feel about him yet in comparison to all of the other big men in this class but I am very firmly in on him as being a guy who will receive some sort of a top 15, top 20 grade if his trajectory next season continues to get better and follows a lot of what we've seen from his freshman year. So big fan.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's it's hard not to be.
0: Yeah. So his pick and roll partner is going to matter a lot for him because last year he And every other UConn player benefited from the high IQ passing ability of a guy like Andre Jackson, as well as the shooting impact and gravity coming off of screens from a guy like Jordan Hawkins. So now we've got to talk about who's going to replace those two players within UConn's offense. Klingon slides in a little bit more for Adama Sinogo into that starting spot. And will play the same role he did last year. Caravan back in the starting lineup. Tristan Newton, who did a lot with the ball in his hands, but really deferred to Jackson and Hawkins in terms of being play finishers or creators for others in a lot of aspects. Newton is back and he may eat a larger role of this offense this year, but there's one guy who's starting to capture the hearts and minds of a lot of online people in the the Twitter draft community. And that's Stefan castle who rich. If I remember correctly, you're a pretty big fan of,
1: yeah, I, I at the moment, I'd say he's probably my fifth best prospect. I, I'm very high on him. I think, just, I'll pause it. I'll pause it. I'll keep it cool. <laughs> I'll, I'll get there at the end. I yeah. like him a lot. Yeah, so, uh,
0: we've got some some film. Um, I am not quite there on Castle yet. I see the upside. I understand where it comes in, but I'm not quite sold yet.
1: The shooting is 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 that your biggest question mark too?
0: We'll see a little, again, we'll, we'll watch through a, a couple of those things on the film. That's the benefit of me running the clips, right? You like I get, to, <laughs> I get to put in there kind of what uh, what I'm seeing at the moment and kind of talk through it. But I, I do think, you know, basketball genesis says here in the comments, there's a wide range for a guy like Stefan Castle. I agree. I think that there this is the potential to be a very point guard heavy class. And while Castle might project a little bit more as a combo guard, uh, in some aspects, he's got decent size, somewhere between 6'4 and 6'5. Decent length, really strong. Gets to the rim a ton and athletic. Oh, hell, let's just show the clips here, right? Like that's a better way to, to do it than me just talking through everything. Stefan Castle from Georgia played with the Atlanta Express on the AAU circuit, which is the same program that Anthony Edwards played for a few years ago. Castle is a very good finisher. He's played at the U18 levels as well as AAU. Had a great high school season this past year. Five-star recruit coming out of high school. Bursty when he gets downhill and combines that with real finishing craft. So what I loved about a couple of his finishes, he's had spin moves. He's got the ability to navigate traffic. But playing off two feet and under control to go really strong and use this head fake to step through and finish is really important for me. And then he's just really physical as a driver. That's always what stood out to me. He gets the free throw line a ton, 19 and percent free throw rate this past year at the AAU level, lowers his shoulder and gets in the bodies pretty well. I think he shot 84 free throws in, which is a lot for an AAU season. So uh, I'm a big fan of the driving ability of Castle.
1: Yeah. And, and you said a really good point. He has, so, wow. Yeah.
0: yeah we'll, I, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that one in a second, Rich. Uh, yes.
1: He has a lot of great gather moves such as the spin, yes. like you said, but I think he has even more finishing moves, which is that combination is just dynamic. And can we please see that? I got to see it, man. Yeah, we'll, we'll, yeah, I wanted to walk through that clip again here. And you he, see... he finishes with both hands, too. That was something I actually haven't seen much of his AAU tape because I think he's playing better, at least what I've been able to see, like on Synergy and stuff, with the high school team he played for, Newton. Uh, yep. I think he played tougher competition and like not sorry in the four games they have on there because it's against Carter Knox and the things like that not not as a whole yeah. I think in the games on there they have the best game so it's like versus Carter Knox uh there's another top prospect I can't remember who he played against yeah. and I've seen those games
0: Paul games is that right
1: yes I think yes. it was some of the who Paul stuff and like those are what I've seen I really haven't seen this AAU stuff but I think with him it's just you watch him get to the rim it everything is under control. Like just every move from here on out, you can play it. And I gotta see this. I I haven't seen this one before.
0: His handle is really polished. He changes speeds, accelerates and decelerates pretty well. The gather move, I think is an important one, but this is the one that I wanted to highlight and we'll watch again because it's the speed and the craft at which he goes through this one. Transition has he dribble into this really strong right-hand pound dribble over the top.
1: And he uses the screen well on that too. I thought, Yep, he does anything advanced, but he he let the defender play out of position from it. I can't do anything.
0: No, that's a ridiculous type of move. And again, the fast forward into that type of fake. So I thought this was an awesome move to be able to have as well, because he plays at different speeds out of ball screens, slow, then fast. But he's under control. That shot fake to be able to draw contact. He's going to live at the free throw line.
1: Yep, And you know, you'd said about the burst. A lot of people think he's not explosive. He's not bursty. I, I think it's underrated because of, it's like the Luca element, right? Where you look at Luca and you think, oh, how's this guy going to get his because he's not that athletic. He's not explosive, whatever, but there's an element of the control and it's his tempo where he wins every single time because you can't stop his HESI because the gap of the change of speeds isn't enough for a defender to know what's coming where yes it is good to have that like extreme ends where it can be super fast and it's super slow like super quick to decelerate but at the same time that there's an advantage to knowing how to use not elite athleticism in your favor and castle does that and i think you'll see all throughout this if any, if it's anything like the high school tape, you'll see him maybe wait a second before things really get going but once it gets going it's all natural he doesn't have to think in a negative way it's he processes it all so fast where it's like, all right, well, this is what I have to do clearly. Like this just happened. So that's the logical next step. He doesn't even have to break down all the stuff in his head before doing the decision. Super tight handle
0: and the ball on a string allows him to read and navigate traffic with a live dribble in a way that that is advantageous for him. I liken his athletic tools to like a, a really good pitcher who's got Maybe 92 miles an hour for their top fastball. They're not throwing heaters all game, but their changeup is real slow. And the change of speeds is what really fools hitters. That's kind of what Stefan Castle is as a
1: driver. Dude, that was, I love it. I'm a baseball fan. So I no. love that. Love that. Yeah. Comment. Big, big baseball guy. I'm a big sports guy in general.
0: Uh, Self creation scoring here for, for a guy like Castle. Uh, this is something that is a little hit or miss for me because the numbers don't back up that he's a really efficient scorer off the bounce. And some of it comes down to shot selection. We'll talk a little bit more about that, but I do want to at least highlight that he is capable of knocking down shots from the perimeter. And he does so in very streaky amounts. Yeah. Uh, he's also a guy that hunts for contact in a lot of regards. So even on some of these pull-up jumpers here, and, and I don't know if the, the score is hidden by the uh, the bar that we have here on the video, but they're down seven with a minute 15 to go. So it's time to kind of start gunning a little bit. And he tries to flail and see if he can kick his, shot, his feet out for another uh, extra point that he can get there. So with that, though, comes a lack of body control sometimes. And this is really the big part for me. He tends to fade. He tends to drift. He's not the type of guy, because he is kicking his legs out a little bit, And you see it here in that mid-range area. This is where I worry about him most. If teams go underneath screens or he's got time to dribble into a rhythm pull-up, I think he's going to be okay. But playing at full speeds in this mid-range area, he drifts quite a bit.
1: Yeah, I think one of the things I noticed watching him just from the Newton games, I wrote three, these are the main concerns where I put as like, all right, this is like something that alarms me. The jump shot need, i'll just read it kind of verbatim the jump shot sure. needs work the re, for the release he aims his shot it's a little bit catapulty in ways and, and not like actually for like just how it looks but just you can tell he's like all right i have to it, it's an aiming shot he's not it's not naturally going all right let me see what happens with the follow-through it's more like i have to get it into this exact angle like he thinks too much on it and the leaning base is what i noticed the fading base i mean it allows defenders to play out of position and win on his shots in a lot of ways it's a disadvantage for him and I don't know if any of these clips have shown it so far but I noticed him shooting on the way down a lot like it's right after the the apex of the shot uh, or the of the like just the top of the release right yeah. where it should be it's up here and he's shooting a little bit down here it's fixable stuff I think with enough reps but how fixable like he's got to showcase that he's got touch and That's going to be a free throw percentage thing. How he shoots at the free throw line is going to be extremely important, I think, for how NBA teams view him.
0: So I want to go into some of the shot selection and the decision-making he has in those late clock settings. What I have noticed about him, and and perhaps this is just nitpicking in some regard, but I think he's a guy who when he feels the clock ticking down or his team is down or it's an, an opportunity when he needs to create a play, his instinct is score. I think he's a talented passer. And we're going to watch a bunch of clips of him as a playmaker in a little bit here. But I think, first and foremost, when he's got the ball in the late clock setting, he's thinking score. And I don't love this shot here. You know, again, it's nine seconds left in the half. Like he's got a half to, to get some sort of a shot off. But you mentioned that drifting base. You mentioned that it feels a little catapulty. Like that shot looks very catapulty to me in some regard, where I think he's just determined, I'm going to get this up now. If he's got a little bit more wiggle, like we've seen him in getting to the basket, to get to that mid-range area, or even to keep his dribble alive a little bit longer, he's going to ultimately be more successful. Here's another time and score scenario for me. Down four, 58 to 54, with 52 seconds to go. And this is the shot and the possession that he ends up with. Again, drifting, base, Wired and thinking score, but this is not a shot down four that you can ever live with. And it's a freshman type of mistake that UConn cannot afford this year, particularly when they have a couple upperclassmen guards and guys like Newton and Cam Spencer. who Spencer's much more of an off-ball player, but guys who are at least capable of creating offense in a pinch – I don't know if he's going to have the long leash to play out of ball screens in the way that he really did at lower levels and at AAU.
1: Yeah, and and have you seen any one shot where he either like it within a box of him where he needs to land? Have you actually seen him land in that box? I would say like a tiny box because for me, it's on a set shot. He's not landing like the I. I, I I'm really struggling to put into words for whatever reason. But, you know, <laughs> when you shoot, you, wanna, you don't want to be jumping 10 feet forward. You don't want to be jumping to the left, to the right, backward, whatever it is. You want to be able to land generally in the same spot you've shot from, right? Like, you're not trying to change the world of, like, from a set shot. And while he doesn't shoot a lot of set shots, it feels like on every single shot, it's like you took off here, you didn't control your momentum, and you shot from there. How did, like, why? Yeah. And we'll probably see more of it.
0: Yeah, and and we'll see it right now. Again, one of 16 on jump shots playing the U18 American Games last summer. Really low mark. I think that developed the reputation that he has of being a poor shooter. I'm actually not as low on him as a shooter as a bunch of other people are. Uh, I think that there is some hope and some upside for him to turn into somebody pretty solid. But like you said, I think catapulty is a pretty good word to describe it. He was 35.1% on catch and shoots in AAU, 31% from three overall. But watch the range and the confidence that he shoots a lot of these with. Like, he is deep behind that three-point line, and he is not shy about pulling them up. Here we see in that West Coast elite game that he was playing in, like really pulling from deep. Even on the make, though, in this past one here, watch his feet. Watch his landing in his base. Like, it's still not balanced. It's still just a little off. He double hops in some regard. Yeah, it's interesting. So he is capable of getting streaky and getting hot. I don't know if he just likes shooting at this end of the gym and that really inflated his AAU numbers or if we're really seeing a guy who's capable of shooting, has real touch, just needs to be able to work on his base a little bit more. I thought that was the smoothest and most rhythmic landing and shot that he had that I saw.
1: And even Catch. that, it felt yeah.
0: like almost a line drive, too. A little bit on the arc, but just watch it. Watch his his base and watch his feet. He hops into it. He understands he's got space and time, and then he rises up. I think he's going to be a good enough shooter that if he gets himself set and square, teams can't really go underneath ball screens on him. He's got to put in the work to keep developing it to get to that level off the bounce, but to me, this is a footwork thing. I know it's a little bit line drivey at the top, but I'd like to see him improve his shooting footwork and mechanics first and foremost. So deep range, again, something that we're highlighting. He's absolutely a type of guy that is capable of pulling. But a fun passer, really fun passer, throws awesome lobs and loves to push tempo in transition. I think big men who run the floor are going to be rewarded. Wings who like to leak out. That is an insane pass, which we're going to watch again because this is an absolute strike in transition, basically a chess pass from three-quarter court for an alley-oop lob unbelievable pass from him. Here's another one recognition of an open pay play or a half court lefty pass into a slam in the dunker spot. Like, by the way, that was a really fun game, Rich. If you get a chance to go back, watch the Atlanta express Philly pride game. Super, super fun from that AAU season. Um, He's a talented passer and we don't just see that in the full court. We see it in the half court. He can make some really quick decisions and good reads to hit guys who are open around the rim Again, that is real shifty. That's the controlled bounce that he has into a dump off. I love this. I love this version of Stefan Castle, who plays with real craft, throws defenders off balance, gets into the lane, and then is able to make a right decision inside of 10 feet. He can score it in a ton of different ways with his touch, and he's willing to dump it off into a a teammate in the dunker spot.
1: And I think a lot of this becomes even more – obvious and and honestly just just relevant when you look at him outside of the on a pick and roll right he uses his role man very well whether it's as actually passing to him whether it's him going up for a shot and using him as a deterrence using him as a deterrence to get someone else open he is an outstanding decision maker i think as a passer like the shot selection decision making and stuff yeah i can come and go but also you could say that about quite literally i think any top 50 prospect Because they're all going to act like they are the man. And a lot of them are. But I think some of that is, you know, passing. That's where you separate yourself. Because anybody can take a lot of shots. Not everyone can make a lot of 10 out of 10 reads. And I think Castle does do a lot of those.
0: So I am going to to push back on that in a little bit here with a couple clips that I have. Just more so about little things. I, I don't think... He's underdeveloped for his age, but I think there are a couple areas I'd want to see him continue to improve at in order to be a legitimate one-and-done prospect and a one-and-done first-rounder. Uh, but this pass stood out to me as another positive that I wanted to end on here. Just a beautiful cross-court skip that he has, uh, accurate on target, on a decent rope. Now let's go to the decision-making. I think there is a difference between being a really good passer and being a really good decision-maker. Passers are guys who can make a lot of those passes physically, who have the understanding of some reads. I think decision-making, like you said, is more about the 10 out of 10 times I'm making the right basketball play for us for as a team. And a couple of the minor areas here are sometimes shot selection, sometimes taking one or two too many bounces, which prevent you from hitting the open man consistently. And, I just I think those are small areas for Castle to keep developing. And he's not that far away, but he's going to have to get a little bit better. So he draws two out of ball screens a lot in AAU. And by the way, I just need to throw this out here because it's been bothering me all day after watching these clips for like four hours earlier today. Can AAU teams stop playing zone? Like, I don't know when this started, but I felt like every team played zone last summer. Like everybody has just – they don't have enough practice time. They throw their guys in there. They play different zones. They're trying to win as opposed to try to develop. It's really hard from an evaluation standpoint to make great decisions defensively on guys, and it's even less of a service to the players by not continuing to develop them in that regard. That's my little tangent for the day. Uh, Look, coming off of a ball screen here, he draws to a lot of the time, and as he does this – He needs to be able to look at that weak side. Spacing was not very good from the Atlanta Express when they would run ball screens, but this is, to me, we just saw that positive pass, that right-hand cross-court skip that he threw in the last clip. Here's another one. It should be a lefty or an over-the-top one. Instead, he takes one or two extra dribbles, picks up his bounce in the short corner to the point where the defense starts to actually retreat back to their own men, And he has to throw the ball all the way back up to the perimeter to almost reset the offense. So I think that there's a little bit of improvement area that he can have there. Again, drawing to getting a quick, hard hedge. If the Atlantic express are going to run pick and pops, or if he's going to play with another big who slips this type of action, he's got to get rid of the ball very quickly. This has to be gone by now. And if he's going to keep this ball, he's got to be able to turn the corner. He can't come back and try to dribble in this direction Again, that in itself at the very end is a nice pass. But to me, that's the difference between being a great passer and a great decision-maker. A fair. great decision-maker yeah. makes the first read. A good passer is somebody who can keep the ball alive and still create something. I would rather have a great decision-maker. It's just me.
1: I think that's fair. I think, too, with a lot of this is I, I wonder, kind of like you said, I wonder how much chemistry there is with them too, where it's like yeah. – you know your tendencies, right? Like right now, Stefan Castle's been at UConn if they're like every other D1 school, he's probably already been there a month at, at almost two at this point. A lot of them start reporting in June, early, early July. And that you're building this chemistry, right? So whereas with Atlanta Express, I know with a lot of AU teams, they don't get these deep practices, right? A lot of them, especially during the year, right? It's April. It's some of these kids are taking SATs and things like that, even and and there's a lot going on where and, and I get it, like, you know, jocks don't take SATs, whatever. But, like, I get it. But at the same time, like, this is actually a busy time where it's like, hey, like, they're people, too. They're not all actually from the same area. Even though they are the Atlanta Express, some of them probably live yeah. in 45 minutes away from each other from where they actually need to be. And they, they get one practice a week. That stuff doesn't help you build chemistry. Whereas at UConn right now, I can tell you, Stefan Castle is working with, with Donovan Klingon because that's just how it goes. And I think – that might that's what i would kind of want to see i'd want to check in on that see how he does with like you said the first read how does he start doing that when he really knows his teammates those are the guys that you live and die for at school when you're there like that is what your just life is how are you going to react to that Do you know their tendencies that's what's huge for me so i'd want to evaluate that coming in there because i think in his high school stuff i did see him making the first read a little bit more just than the few clips than Atlanta express Sure.
0: So I think for me here, like from NBA terms, you think about guys who command double teams or hard hedges and get a lot of that attention and ball screens. You think of great scorers, that it's what NBA teams do to try to force the ball out of somebody's hands. When you watch a lot of college basketball, it's really by default. A lot of teams go with one, maybe two defensive schemes or coverages that they feel comfortable executing. And a lot of times they try to be more aggressive in some of them. So playing in the Big East, Castle is going to face a fair amount of hard hedges. He's going to face a lot of aggression. Have fun going against Rick Pitino twice a year. Like they're going to come after you a little bit in ball screens. So if he's going to come off of these screens and he's going to have two guys that are bracketing him as he tries to dribble in, in place. And look, his instinct is to try to refuse a lot of ball screens. He's going to dribble in pace in place. He's going to try to come off in one direction and then try to come back the other. But as you see two right here, you've got to be able to get rid of that ball very quickly. If it's not to the man yep. who's rolling, it's a pass fake. And then you hit your teammate who's standing on this left wing, number 23, his, his man has to tag it. Either player on the weak side is really open right here, but I'm fine with just throwing it to the closest man to you. Yep. Instead, again, I think his instinct is to try and score. Is it a nice move? Is he going to be capable of making a lot of these? I hope so. That's tough space creation. But I'm not quite sold on him being an elite enough shot maker to the point where he can turn down the simple and easy read. And I think the reason why I'm hardest on a guy like Castle isn't because I'm critical of him and not being able to do this stuff. It's actually the opposite. It's that I know that he can. That we've seen clips where he demands to, boom, just throw it right out over the top. Trust your teammate to get the ball to the nail hole. And there is this is the exact type of play that we saw a couple minutes ago looking at Donovan Klingon. If he is throwing this pass over the top to Klingon, who catches it at the nail hole, one bounce into a kick out to a wide open shot. We've just seen that you have a pick and roll partner. Who's going to be able to execute this. It's not about you. It's not about that shot that you want to take. You've got to get rid of the basketball and make the right team play. And to me, when he's facing these extra attentions and teams coming out to get him, he's got to be able to throw it right away. He's more than capable. We saw it on the last play here over the top to the short roll. I thought this was really smart. Sees team thrill comes and sends two to the basketball ball over his head. Pass fake to the nail, throw it out to the guy one away. End up, well, not getting an assist for that one, but it's the absolute right basketball play. Here he is commanding too. You want to see the other read that he can make? Watch what uh, West Coast Elite does here. They're playing up to try to anticipate that pass one away. So where's Castle's read going? To the corner. I want to show this one one more time. This is a fantastic, fantastic pass. He is a great passer who can read these plays and make excellent decisions. He's just got to become a much more consistent decision maker in my eyes in order to be able to tap into what UConn's going to need him to do time and time again to run an offense and what an NBA team is going to do.
1: Yeah, I I think that's a very fair assessment. You look at the consistency and and I think you're also your difference of a good decision maker and good passer completely valid and i i think i agree again i do think in the high school tape you'll see a little bit different stuff where he's a little bit quicker in, in noticing um but even when there are times where he's he rejects that first opening right to the role man i think he does a good job of saying just because i rejected you once doesn't mean that you're not going to touch the ball kind of thing it I think teammates are comfortable saying, hey, like if I pass to him, I'll get the ball back. Like there's a good chance. And that stuff does matter. I think he's going to be able to keep his shooters happy, especially I think in all those videos. And let's be real. UConn's not going anywhere with jump shooting just because Jordan Hawkins <laughs> left. They're not <laughs> going anywhere. Caravan is the one name I forgot to include. He's incredible. Yep. This is a perfect segue, honestly, into Camp Spencer.
0: A Perfect segue. Right, bef- right before we do, Cam, I want to get your thoughts, Rich. Where are you on Castle in terms of floor or ceiling for this draft class and-, and where you have him right now?
1: Yeah, I think I think with Al, everything short of jump shooting, he's sold me on. I, I think he's definitely a first-round prospect. Again, I have him in the lottery top 10 right now. Things can change. The big swing skills for him are how explosive is he going to look against college competition. Because, I mean, the Under Armour circuit is considered the weakest of Nike, Adidas, and Under Armour, which, fair or not. It's still, you know, it might be a big jump for him. I'm interested to see how that goes. But generally, against the competition that's considered the elite guys, he's done pretty well. Again, he he was he dominated Carter Knox, for example, who is a very good player, by the way. And for me, it's just really going to come down to how does he look explosiveness wise, and what is that jump shot in every way going to look like? The free throw percentage is big, the three point percentage, the overall jump shooting. How's he looking with mechanics? Has he improved any of it? Will reps help? Is it what does he need to do? And I'm interested to monitor just how that shooting. I want to see enough flashes is really it. I want to see 10 games where he on average is shooting 35, 37% from three.
0: Yeah, again, I, I we've seen him get streaky. I think he's proven that he can make shots in bunches the full season sample is going to be really important. I view him a little bit more as a mid to late first round guy right now. I'm not quite sold on the top end stuff for me, just because I don't think he's consistent enough of a scorer outside of the first level at the basket. And I want to see this, uh, the, you know, decision-making stuff improve just a little bit more uh, fine defender, long, decent against ones and twos, like not the greatest, most athletic defender, doesn't overpressure guys. He's going to be fine on that end of the floor as far as I'm concerned. But uh, I I do think there is potential for him to pop. Like if he answers all these questions, he shoots 36% from three. He hits a lot of his pull-up jumpers. He shows he can score on three levels. I'm going to change my tune on this. I just think that he's a little bit more of a late first round guy, or maybe even a guy who spends multiple years in school. But I do think that he and Klingon really need each other that Klingon is going to rely on Castle's great decision-making and willingness to hit those throwbacks into the post entries that get Klingon the touches on the blocks. Likewise, I think Castle needs the screening ability from a guy like Klingon to help get him open as well as the consistency of his rolling to help improve his decision-making. But the one guy who's going to tie all of this together is the man who fills that Jordan Hawkins role, the guy who comes off of screens left and right And plays with a ton of shooting gravity. Cam Spencer, who is a grad transfer coming in from Rutgers. Rich, I have a trivia question for you. Do you happen to know where Cam Spencer went to high school?
1: No, I know where he went to college before uh, UConn. That's about it.
0: Yeah, so he started at Loyola University in Maryland. uh, Ended up going to, to Rutgers from there. Played for one year and was awesome for Rutgers in the Big Ten. And now is at Connecticut. But he actually went to the Boys Latin School of Maryland. He is an alum of the school that I coach at. So I happen to know Cam pretty well. Uh, got a relationship with him developed over the last few years. And here's what I'll, I'll share on the inside. I love the kid. Really smart player and person about the right things. His older brother, Pat, has been playing in the G League for the last couple of years. One year with the GoGo, One year with uh, the Santa Cruz Warriors. Really athletic family but Cam is one of the tougher competitors that I know. Like he brings a real chip on his shoulder, like take no shit mentality that I really love about him. I think his teammates are going to love and that allows him to be successful wherever he goes. He's a little bit undersized. He's maybe like a 6'2 combo guard. He's not the most athletic guy in the world, but he maximizes who he is and he is one hell of a competitor. But beyond that, He might just be the best shooter in college basketball next season. If you leave him alone in spot up situations, the ball doesn't hit the rim. He is just Mr. Swish. Like I'm going to try to trademark that nickname for him Mr. Swish. When he is spotting up on the perimeter and there isn't a defender near him, like forget about it. It's just going in the net very purely. That was the role a little bit at Rutgers last year. They ran some screening action for him, which we're going to break down, but I love the way that his shooting forms slightly unorthodox, but man, is it smooth and consistent? Here's where he can come into the Hawkins role, and it's a little bit different than Jordan. He's not this always moving, energizer bunny, stop-start guy. He wants to play at changing speeds. He's going to be much more deceptive, setting up his cuts by going slower or standing still. He's got a little bit of shake to him, but he really reads his defender very effectively and knows how to break loose. Here you see he's getting top-locked by his defender. I think that's Doug McDaniel in the Michigan game. Tries to go backdoor and then just sets him up to come back off that screen again. Really patient, really understands how to get himself open. A clutch player. Again, down two on the road at Northwestern, where his older brother played, ends up in this shake action, coming into a really tough shot over a late contest. And then this was the big game winner on the road against number one ranked Purdue. Shot fake, one dribble sidestep to his left, bang, ends up winning them the game on the road. He is a very, very good shooter who can be utilized in different ways. Awesome spotting up, awesome coming off screens. Not the fastest guy. He's not like Jordan Hawkins, who's just going to zoom off these actions and create a ton of separation, but he's deceptive in how he creates separation. He does have those wonderful pull-ups in his arsenal. And then I think he's an underrated passer within a team construct. Great one more pass out of the the skip here. He gets run off the line. I love this ability to just have this soft touch and throw it up to to big men. I think Klingon is going to love playing with him in this regard. It's not, it's not very orthodox, like you can see, but these are really nice, really impactful passes to be able to make. This one I love because it's kind of like with his right hand across his body, perfect touch and placement. That's Klingon is going to feast off of a guy like him. Here you can see Rutgers is running almost like a, a horns zoom type of action. They come him off the corner on a dribble handoff. That's a really nice pass to be able to make going to his left across his body. And The unsung part of having a guy like a Cam Spencer on your team is what happens when you put all of these traits together. The shooting gravity, the ability to knock down shots, the secondary playmaking, the patience in coming off a screen. So I want to narrate this possession here a little bit. They run some sort of a Philly action with Cam running over the top. Ends up refusing a ball screen, diving baseline. Nice skip pass out. Good ball movement is going to... Result in penetration here. Watch the way that Cam Spencer, who's now on the left wing, relocates around this dribble penetration. and throws the skip. Drive in here. He starts to loop, and then he slides back towards the ball. Really impactful play from a guy like Cam Spencer. So I think that he is the missing ingredient in this Huskies team. As soon as they graduated Jordan Hawkins, they needed to replace him with a really good shooting specialist cam spencer is that guy but in terms of like a late second round or undrafted type of prospect like he's sneakily a guy that can be and should be on some radars there's pedigree in his family fantastic athlete he was a great lacrosse player in high school too like he's he's got a lot of skill but the toughness the mentality the mental makeup is all there for a guy like him and these connective passers who I think he had close to, if not a two to one, it's just a turnover ratio last season for the first half of the year was amongst the leaders in the entire country in steals per game. A lot of that is a byproduct of Rutgers scheme. I want to see what carries over this year with Connecticut. He was enabled to do a lot of more aggressive things, almost played chess to the ball in passing lanes, trying to replays, used his IQ as a defender. He's got to be a little bit more disciplined. He's got to be able to guard up the lineup more physically. He is a targeted type of defender. But, like, to me, he is G League bound. He is a guy that is going to get an opportunity next year. I think scouts should be wise to get to know his name a little bit more just because he's got a lot of things I really
1: like. He reminds me a little bit kind of keeping it in the Big Ten andrew funk honestly just both the the funk brothers right where you look at the similar trajectory i think andrew's in denver for training camp Mm -hmm. i think look when you're that good of a shooter high iq shooters who can use their shooting to make teammates better it's tough he's listed at 6'4 i don't know if he's actually 6'4 if he's 6'5 6'3 whatever but that i Okay, so that's uh, that's that is alarming. It is tough to be a six three, six four. We'll call him six for for basketball reference sake for you. We love it. We love uh, it. I'll I'll, I'll get some benefit of the doubt. It's the same way like JJ Barea is like a solid six feet, right? Yeah, Lakers get an cool. inch.
0: Yeah, yeah Lakers I'm, get an inch.
1: I mean, I'll sell myself out here. I'm five ten. I stood next to JJ Barea. We are equal. So <laughs> therefore by the way, I am six feet now. So <laughs> no, but actually the like, way I see it is look that runner into the alley-oop, like that stuff where you have great shooting touch and, you know, teams are going to do everything. The second they see weave the ground, they're going to do everything to gobble it up. It's like the monsters when they swarm Michael, right? They're going to do everything just to make sure that nothing positive can come of it. And then, he throws it over their head to the role man and suddenly all the defense can do is look up and watch the ball go in. So I really do think there is value. I think I agree. G League bound, if he has a great year, would be, be- very beneficial. He's going to play in summer league, I imagine. And again, just following the funks, I think could be a good route because I do think the funks are actually guys who it may not happen right away for him. But there is an outcome where they do latch on to the end of a roster
0: yeah, so uh, th- this Yukon team is deep. like we're not talking about Tristan Newton, who's like a six five guard who has a couple triple doubles or like has the opportunity to go off in a lot of different ways. Alex Caraban, a six seven sophomore who can really shoot and play like either of those three or four wing positions. This Yukon team's got a lot of freshmen who could be intriguing. I know you mentioned a couple of them right at the top. Like th- this may not be just a three prospect team this year. But as far as I'm concerned, there are two guys who have legitimate lottery potential in Klingon and Castle. And then a third piece in Cam Spencer, who's that grad transfer, who's going to be really important in bringing out the best versions of both of them. So if you're a Huskies fan, I think you've got to be looking at these three as the nucleus of what you're trying to accomplish this next year to potentially go back to back or make a deep run in the NCAA tournament. And if you're an NBA scout or a team that likes to to just check in on these guys throughout the season, I think it's really important to understand how they interact with each other in terms of how you set your evaluation for these players long-term.
1: Yeah. And and just honestly, even beyond those guys, you look at how many of the players on that roster are going to get an NBA look. I mean, like we said, Tristan Newton as well, there's so much talent to go around on this team. And you look at the other three Top 100 recruits, and you got Solomon Ball, Jalen Stewart, and Jaden Ross. And actually, I think, uh, no, this guy technically is not top 100, but he's also up there. Yusuf Singare, yeah. he's somebody who is a seven footer, could be down the road, somebody that they develop. He's a kind of a lottery ticket for him, but just the overall talent that they brought in after winning a title is nuts. I, uh, this is very much a team that could repeat.
0: Ooh, I'm gonna, I mean, it, I'm it's, gonna, it's,
1: they it's, could. It's March Madness. Anything can happen, right? Like, it's I'm not gonna I'm not yeah. putting money on it because also I don't I don't know I don't bet either. Yeah, yeah. But okay. it, it's a team where you're like, okay, you can tell in some past teams they have the lightning in the bottle. The bottle has just gone into the ocean, but there is something where this is very much. They kept enough of the core. They kept a lot of the same principles, things like that. Where it's like they have the same mold where they can make it work. Where they can make at least another deep marsh run.
0: Yeah, UConn, good at basketball. Stores, Connecticut, a place a lot of NBA scouts should be next year. Rich, this is super fun. Thank you for joining me on here to do a film breakdown on the stream. Before we get you out of here, please let the people know what you've got going on uh, and and what's coming up in your life.
1: Yes, sir. Thank you very much. I've been doing more of these kind of deeper breakdowns uh, on my site, mapstraft.com. Did one for Castle. I did one for a sophomore at Cincinnati. That's an, an unbelievably obscure one. Uh, just about just breaking down his shot. I I always have internally done this stuff, and then writing it I think makes it a little bit different. um So did you did you do Skillings? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I love Skillings. Guy. I like him. I like him a lot. And he's a shot away from an NBA prospect, and it's far away. But I did a little deep dive of where he needs to improve, why the numbers say what they say, things like that. So that's that's kind of the mold of what I'm going towards now is just that path to improvement. What does it look like with the deep dives? Show the video, show the numbers, blend them together.
0: Yeah, that's huge. I'm going to check out that skillings piece. I would encourage everybody else to do so too. He's a fascinating process. Rich does great work and he's great people. So make sure you follow him and stay tuned for what he's got going on. I'm probably doing one or two things a week here, but, uh, really going to be emphasizing video pods like this moving forward and doing a lot of deeper dive breakdowns. It's the, the doldrums of the summer. So we're, we're going to keep doing some stuff like this, but I hope to have the time to put in during the actual basketball season to keep doing some breakdowns like this. Uh, Thank you guys for all joining us before you all get out of here. Like the video rate, review, subscribe, do everything on the podcast that you can to support us here at the box and one and we will see you next time.